0: Father, we are grateful, again, for your mercy towards us, giving us the word, giving it to us where we could read it, understand and comprehend. We ask that you would allow us to see more clearly the things that we may understand in part, but need to To understand more fully today and for some who may not understand at all, may have never read this passage or may have struggled with um, just believing in general. We pray by your spirit's power that you would work in their hearts in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you in here are people that love to cause drama? Do you raise your hand? Maybe stand up. You love drama. Oh, there you go, Andrew. He loves it. Um, it's funny, nobody likes to admit that they stir up trouble. Do they? You think, sometimes, you, do you ever scratch your head and think, how do I always get into these situations where everything's so tense and people are like, might be a problem. Not necessarily with all the other people that you've ever known in your whole life. Maybe it's you. No. Have you ever really not wanted someone to represent you because you know they would misrepresent you? Maybe um, you've known them to say something like, well... Jared said, and you're thinking, I don't know what Jared they're talking about. But, you know, maybe in your family or your work, you've known people like that. They seem to be able to twist things and misrepresent you in a variety of ways. Some people do this because they want to look better than you. Some people do it because they... Um, maybe unintentionally, have developed some opinions that they want everyone uh, to have. It's interesting, you might meet some person that actually does say a lot of things that are represented correctly and they always deny it, you know? And so, that's harder and harder because smartphones can record everything, you know. I've often wanted to be able to pull that out and be like, I got it right here, you said it, you know. But anyway, we think about those things often because uh, representation is something we both like want at times and loathe. Like we don't want it at all. We think, ugh, I don't want anyone to represent me but me. And so this morning we're looking at that issue of, Representation, having a representative, someone who uh, stands in your place and makes decisions for you. And we live in a a republic where we have people that do that. They make decisions for us. And uh, the problem is, though, the the difference is we are able to say, well, we helped maybe get them in office And so they represent us, but we voted them in. The good thing about the study this morning is, is that you're not in charge of choosing your representative or representatives here, but God is. God chooses the representatives, the ones who will represent us, and we are beneficiaries of what they did. And so this morning, that's kind of what we are dealing with, the idea of representation Now we've been studying in the broader context the concept of justification by faith. And justification is one aspect of the doctrine of salvation. If you and I were laying that out and it answers the question of how we as sinners can be in good standing with the righteous creator judge of the universe. That's kind of if you were to kind of break that down or another way you might ask a question say how can a holy God accept and welcome sinful people and Paul has been addressing that he has been laying that out before you to help you understand and today like I said we're getting into this idea of representation. And that's just something you just got to keep running through your mind because there are a lot of things said here, a lot of difficulties in this passage and things that may make you leave scratching your head. And after I'm done, you may still be scratching your head and... As I do, you know, oftentimes whenever I leave a passage that requires a lot of thought and I'll think, man, I'll go back and, and think on it even later and think, man, I'm not sure I really grasped that. Um, but, but I think it's important for us to understand that. Now, just remember, we say that like, or we've said, uh, From Paul, like as Paul has laid this out for us, that the hope is that there is a righteousness that is outside of us, a righteousness given to us. And we say that our hope is in the righteousness of Christ given to us so that we can be right with God. That's at the heart of it. So this morning, you should kind of come away and be thankful for humanity's two representatives Because they're similar in some ways which benefit us and different in some ways. And we're going to hash that out as we go forward. So hopefully that will help you. So let's start in verses 12 through 14. And we are going to look at at the first Adam. Because Paul has just been laying this out. This idea that we're right with God. We're going to experience the glory of God. uh, We're we're looking towards that hope. And so we start out and we begin to look at this kind of step-by-step move. Really in verse 12 it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. So we see, who is this one man? Just that's important to know. Adam. So through Adam, first step, sin entered the world. Keep moving forward in verse 12. And what happened next? Death through sin. Another step as a result of sin of this one man, Adam, death came. And so not just death for Adam, but death for the whole human race. Death spread to all men. By Adam's sin, death comes and it spreads to all men. Now you see that phrase, because all sinned. Now some people might say, well, all of humanity followed Adam. They all sinned like Adam sinned, and so that's why they are in the state that they're in. It's all based on their choices. The reality is the emphasis in this text is on representation. You got to get that. I mean, if you're going to, you got to get that in your mind. It is about you having a representative who is making decisions that affect you. That's what this text is about. You got to get that in your mind to understand this. So, I think it's important and some people would argue based on this that this this when we're saying because all sinned, it's in the aorist tense. You may have heard that before, which is a tense a verb tense that is like you know like unpacks for you or makes you understand that this is a single past action. He's not talking about humanity's sins continually or individually human sinning, but rather it represents something that has happened in the past. That an act that happened in the past. One act that happened in the past that affects all of humanity. Now you, you may say, well, Jared, I don't know if I agree with that, but I'm telling you, if you read contextually, you'll say the point of this text is about Us having a representative for all of humanity and his sin affecting the whole human race. I think that's what verse 12 is saying. And I think you'll see that as you move forward in this text. So Adam's transgression, God said, do not eat. Adam's transgression brought sin and the results that followed upon all of humanity. And that there are a lot of levels to that. But what we are dealing with is justification. One aspect of salvation. So what we are saying is in the courtroom. We were to stand before God. We are pronounced guilty because we are, our, or you could say, our representative rebelled. His actions... His actions had damning results upon all of humanity. I think that, that's hard to miss if you really read the context. Verse 13 and 14. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Now, that is a confusing, confusing text at some level. From Adam to Moses, God had not given his law in a formal way. Like when Israel received the law written in stone, it would, in a, in a very clear sense, even though like maybe... It wasn't always a place where they could see it. They all knew. Moses wrote it down. Not just the Ten Commandments, but various things. I mean, a lot of stuff. And it was written down so that they could say, so that they could not say, I didn't know that. Now, what is meant by, but sin is not counted where there is no law. What it doesn't mean is that people are not held accountable. And and, and it's just important to note that in Romans 2, that's kind of presented to us in that there is within the conscience of man Right and wrong and they rebel against it and they're all under the wrath of God whether they hear his law ever. There are a lot of people, not just people between Adam and Moses, but people throughout human history that have never heard articulated any of the Bible. Right? But there is a law on their conscience and they receive the judgment of God For their rejection of it at one level. So I think that's important to understand. So what is he talking about here? I think he's talking about the greater knowledge that's given to the the Israelites, Moses and those who followed him. Brings about a greater responsibility. They were breaking clear commands of God. While the people before that were not, it was not as clear. But here's the point. Or what is the point you might say. What Adam did. Whether you have the law or not. What Adam did. Brought you under the condemnation of God. Whether you know the law. Whether you actively disobey it. Whether you uh, have some jacked up view of what it means right and wrong. Adam's Act. As the representative of humanity brought death to all of humanity. Now you might say, hold on just a second. I'm from America. And in America, we make all the choices. I don't even like hearing that there's a representative making any decisions on my behalf. Why didn't I get to be Adam back in the Garden of Eden? You know I would have made the right choice. We would all still be there. Mm, mm, mm. You might believe that. I don't. About any of you. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. There are examples in our culture of this kind of concept. You think of an elected official making decisions without your approval. They don't call you up every time they have to make a decision. Do you know that? If they did, we would have a utopian United States of America, right? (laughs) But anyway... Um, It's important that we understand that. An attorney, for instance, represents a client in court. And you may not even go to court. And an attorney would stand in your place as your representative. Now, for those of us who might say, I don't think it's fair that God didn't give me the choice to choose who my representative was. Not only are you arrogant. But the reality is, you think, an infinite, holy God chose your first representative, if you will. And you can trust him with that. He knows exactly what he is doing, and that is good news. The good news is that if we had to stand on our own and give a defense, we would be pronounced guilty. The, the great news here, and, and we don't want that, so the great news would be is that there's already one who has acted and you are pronounced guilty, but there's not just one who's come, but one who would come following him, the Lord Jesus Christ, and bring about reconciliation. So, the first Adam we see as our representative plunging the whole human race into sin and death not not for what they did but but because of what he did so that you are legally before the courtroom of God's justice pronounced guilty not based upon what you have done but what he did as your representative and that was God's plan Not yours. He chose your representative. You didn't make any decisions about it. But because Adam was your representative, the representative of the human race, you are pronounced guilty in the courtroom. That's what this text is about. Now you say, if you stop there, that would really stink. And I would say, yes, it would. Right? But... We move forward and think about the second Adam and how Adam and Jesus are going to really be presented here as different. Then we'll move on and see how they're the same. But I think it's important that you just see that who was a type of the one who was to come. That's at the end of 14. That's what we see. Adam was a type of the one who was to come. But then notice what he says. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass. Much more have the grace of God. And the free gift by the grace of God. Of that one man Jesus Christ. Abounded for many. And the free gift is not like. Do you see that? It is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment. Following one man's trespass. Brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses. Brought justification for if because of one man's trespass death reign through that one man much more will those who received the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ so we have to think what are the differences here between these two men what are we talking about today because again it can get confusing we're talking about representation we are talking about Adam representing the whole human race and Jesus representing all who will believe. That may be the easiest way to say. And as the two, for those who have trusted in Christ, you have two representatives presented before you today. One bringing death, the other one bringing life. So just look at that with me for a moment. It's just helpful for us to see this. <clears throat> You notice the motivation behind each deed is different. That's how one man describes it. Adam's act was for selfish gain. Jesus' act was one of self-sacrifice. Adam's act was one of rebellion. While Jesus was one of righteousness. And the results are different. They're actually totally different adam's act results in death jesus act results in life adam's act results in condemnation jesus brings justification adam's act we see death reign while jesus ushers in a reign of life you're no longer a slave but a king see that there's these big differences here glaring differences on display right here And one last thing, or two last things here. The power of the two are are different. Again, someone, I can't remember uh, exactly who said this this way, but Christ's work is more powerful than the work of Satan. Christ's work can overcome the effect of Adam's work. So what Adam did, Christ comes as the second Adam to overcome all that Adam did and to usher in something far more glorious. He has... Power over sin and death and condemnation. Now you might say, "Is this important?" It's really important for you to understand this. This is really, if you keep yourself uh, separated from this knowledge, then you are in a state of being representative, uh, represented by Adam. You're under sin. You're under death. You're condemned. If you trust in Christ. You have hope of life, justification, all of those things. It's very important for us to see it because this is everything for us, right? It's, it's, I think we need to see that and understand it. It, it, is, it. For humanity to grasp this is to understand life and death. So we see these differences. Then you're going to see similarities in verses 18 through 21 of the second Adam Being the emphasis. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So both of these people, Adam and Jesus, or Adam and the second Adam, or you can say the first and second. Both of them, there, there's something on display here. These, they both represent a body of people. This first body of people that Adam represents is the whole human race. The second body of people that the second Adam represents, represents all who will believe in him. All who put their trust in him. And so, one man's trespass brought condemnation But the result of one act of righteousness brings justification. Through the disobedience of one, many were made sinners. But through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. You see these similarities on display. Verse 19, we see that by one man, Jesus, he did not simply remove the penalty for our disobedience. He obeyed for us as our representative head through his life and supremely in his death. And so we can have eternal life in him. All of these things are on display for us because we need to understand that our hope is in the second Adam coming and him being our representative and him standing in our place. So I think it's just important for us to see one thing real quick. I want you to turn to Genesis 2 just so you see it. Hold your place. Turn to Genesis 2 verses 15 through 17. And what we see in Adam is God's blessing would come upon him if he obeyed. But he chose to disobey. Look at 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of the every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now turn to Genesis 3, 6 and 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also or she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked and that they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So what do you see here? Adam knew if he obeyed, he would experience God's blessing. If he disobeyed, he would experience the curse. Now go back to Genesis 5. Just kind of hold your place there. I mean, I'm sorry, Romans 5. The second Adam knew if he obeyed, what would happen? Blessing? No, oh, he would come under the curse. If he was completely obedient, he would face the agony of the cross. There's a strong emphasis throughout like John's gospel that we studied on how Jesus was obedient in every way, even to the point of death. The wonderful thing for us is as our representative, this is really, really helpful, as our representative, his perfect obedience becomes what? Our obedience. His perfect obedience becomes our obedience. Jesus' perfect actions are now applied to us. Just as Adam's sinful actions are placed in our account. Now those who trust in Christ, Jesus' perfect actions are given to them. And there's a transfer that takes place. Adam, I mean, Jesus takes the guilt and shame of Adam. And then he gives us his perfect righteousness so that we can be declared in good standing or right with God. Now, some people in the audience listening to this maybe for the first time or some that would hear it when they begin to share the gospel throughout the world might have some questions. So look at verse 20 and 21. Paul's probably thinking about some of the questions that might have come up. Um, Some might be asking questions about the law. And it says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul may have thought about some people objecting here and saying, what about the law? How did it make a difference? Paul says, here's what the law did. It increased our transgressions. The law revealed our sin. It frustrates sin. It kind of brings it to the surface. It's like pulling your kid over and saying, don't touch that. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. And the kid's just like, and you walk away, and they're just like, I've got to touch it. The law frustrated that sin within us and brought it, maybe you could say, to the surface more. And as it spotlighted sin, you see yourself kind of reaching out for it more. But where that sin and rebellion increased, grace abounded all the more. Grace overcame it. Grace delivered us. At the cross, grace overwhelms sin and life and triumphs over death. It defeated it. Adam, as your... I mean, again, just take yourself one more time into the courtroom. There is a holy God who reigns over all. There, we go to um, Old Washington every once in a while and I've heard, I think it was uh, April Lannis was talking about going on the... This trip with some ladies and they kind of reenacted a courtroom scene. And we go up there and Ben every once in a while he'll be he loves to use this finger. He points up like that. I don't know where he gets that. But anyway, he'd be like, guilty. That's what he'll always say. You know, he likes to throw that hand up and he'll be like, Dad, they're guilty. You know, and that I'll be like, dude, that's hilarious. But it came from going up to the old Washington and sitting there. And, 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 and I was telling those kids, like, okay, look, this is kind of what a courtroom scene looks like. Well, <clears throat> if you were to think about this in terms of a representative, one standing in your place, Adam comes in before a holy God that must punish sin. Adam comes in, and God rightly would say, guilty! Guilty! Guilty as charged, condemned to death, alienated from me forever. But you say, standing there, that he, what he did has been given to me. It means we're all plunged into sin and death and corruption. And we're all going to hell because of what Adam did as our representative. I mean, this is ridiculous. I can't believe it. And then in reality, back in your mind, you think, I know if I'd have been there, I'd have done what Adam did. But then all of a sudden another one comes in and you say, "Hey, that just look that looks like Adam." The, the second Adam, he shows up and he walks in. And all of that condemnation and death and all those things, all of that is placed upon him. You see, he endures the wrath that you deserve. But not only that, what's placed up before you is that he has a perfect record. He's, he's without sin. He does, he's not guilty. He's just perfectly obedient. He is everything Adam failed to be. And so you, standing there looking at this situation, realize that... You can enter into his perfect obedience and him being the one who's taken all your sin. You can enter into relationship with him simply by faith. So you, graciously empowered by God, are offered grace and you receive it. And you hear, not just not guilty, but in good standing. Not just in good standing. But treasured. Not just left alone. But embraced into the family. You're carried off with the judge. For an eternity of joy. And privilege and blessing. What Adam did. In plunging the whole human race into sin. What he did. It really did plunge it all. You, you, if you never made a sinful act. Act. The representative's already sinned for you. You're damned. But the perfect righteousness of Christ, his perfect actions in his life, death, burial, and resurrection now can be received so that you can be in good standing with God and considered right with him. This is the hope of the gospel. It's what we point people to. This is something that we need to constantly remind ourselves of. And I hope that you will do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. We thank you that we've been set free. From that condemning sin and death and brought into eternal life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.